We often hear about the importance of building strong networks in our path to success. However, we may not always get the best advice on how to do this, which could lead to driving people away instead of building strong relationships that last. In this episode, I speak to Jordan Harbinger, networking expert and host of The Jordan Harbinger Show, about the importance of building networks based on trust and one common trait shared by the most successful people. They leverage strong systems that keep them moving forward. This is really the difference between successful people. You don't have to be a brilliant, talented individual to be successful. You just have to do what you say you're going to do and have systems that remind you of things that are important. And man, it makes a whole world of difference. So ready to dive into the importance of reliable systems and a foundation of trust as you build your network? Let's discuss. I'm Rebecca Scott, and this is Humans Now and Then. Jordan Harbinger, thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me on. Oh, you're welcome. So you have an amazing podcast, The Jordan Harbinger Show. So if you haven't checked that out, folks, get out there and check it out. He's talked to some amazing and fascinating people, both people you know and love out in the world of the famous, but also a lot of folks that are super interesting, including uh, someone who's in the intelligence world, which I found completely fascinating. Just given all the people that you've been able to speak to in the past, I'd be interested to know a few things. And of course, we'll get into the networking aspect of you being able to connect with all these amazing people. But one of the things that's kind of a common thread through a lot of your guests is their level of success. Sure. And so what would be the differentiator between maybe most folks and the folks that you've been able to speak to that have achieved these high levels of success? I would say that the differentiators, as you put it, some of the things these people have in common, when I'm thinking of like the point zero one percenters, you know, the Mark Cubans and the Matthew McConaughey's, they're so much more organized and together than the people around them. So for example, whenever I talk to Ray Dalio, who runs Bridgewater, it's like a 160 billion plus dollars under management. Whenever I talk to somebody like that, the calendar is set up, there's an invite, he shows up on time, there's a tech check beforehand. And then When I try and talk to not even an amateur, but somebody who runs a smaller business and is on their way up, so to speak, that person didn't accept the invite, forgets that we have a tech check, have to reschedule that, is late for the call. And I'm just like, you know, this is not really an accident. You know, in in the thousand plus interviews that I've done over the last 14 and some odd years, there's really such a clear delineator between people who have great teams, have great systems, are very organized, and people who are kind of faking it till they make it. And I'm really starting to think that half of what makes these people successful, or at least a double-digit percentage of what makes them successful, uh, aside from luck, there's a strong role that luck plays in everyone's life here who's successful, uh, or unsuccessful for that matter, but a double-digit percentage of their success is attributable to their systems and their level of organization. And I see a lot of people that theoretically they should have so much more going for them and they should be doing so much more with their business and with their life. And then when you have a personal dealing with them, you go, oh, you can't even answer your email. Or like I said, you don't accept the calendar invite for God's sake. I mean, what the hell? These are sort of table stakes. And it's the same issue that I see with young people trying to get jobs now. They'll do the same thing. They'll say like, yeah, you know, I really want to work at Facebook or Google or something along those lines. And I'll go, great. 
you know, you should do an informational interview with somebody who works there. And they'll be like, yeah, maybe I should do that and then not take action. And I just keep thinking, you know, this is really the difference between successful people. You don't have to be a brilliant, talented individual to be successful. You just have to do what you say you're going to do and have systems that remind you of things that are important. And man, it makes a whole world of difference. Absolutely. And I think that's a great way to think about how do we establish strong relationships is because one of the big things you do, of course, is to teach people how to build strong networks. One of the ways you do that personally is by getting these amazing guests on your podcast. And you've talked to some amazing people across the world. But I'm wondering, too, like that kind of centers around trust, right? The important for us to build trust in our relationships. Establishing a foundation of trust is immensely important as folks uh, build networks. Absolutely. I mean, trust is the foundation of any network. And as I've said in many places before, it's actually better to be trusted than liked. Obviously, you want both if you can, but it's better if people believe what I say rather than just think I'm a pleasant person and don't believe what I say, right? I'd rather have that if I had to choose. So you're right. Look, trust is the key element in any network and referral currency. It happens because you are trusted and it also builds trust. So I'm huge when it comes to that. And I think that people should be mindful of that. It's, it kind of goes back to, you know, your reputation is kind of the only thing that can't be taken away from you. You can't, you know, you can't get sued out of it. Can't, somebody can't break in and, and burn it down or steal it at night or load it under the back of a truck. Uh, no platform can, they can't de-platform your reputation. I mean, there are things that can be done to destroy reputations generally, but they're much, much more rare. Uh, and usually it's the result of your own doing. Yeah. So basically you build your reputation, you build that referral currency and you create trust around you. And that does a lot of the heavy lifting for you when it comes to creating and maintaining relationships. Yeah. And I think a lot of these things often come naturally to us as we build relationships with friends or people around us. I mean, it takes sometimes, depending on the kind of person you are, it might take some time to build trust. But I think sometimes when we think about networking, especially in a business context, we maybe try too hard and maybe take away some of those important human aspects of connection. And is that something that folks really struggle with when they come into maybe your programs, that they're just trying a little too hard? instead of really focusing on the human connection they can build with folks. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people that kind of will reach out and say, hey, I'm just following up on something or I'm just checking in. And there's nothing that compels a response. It's kind of obvious that they're trying to work their way into something, right? Like, okay, if I check in with Jordan every month, then I can ask for something. And I'm telling you, people smell that coming from a long way away. And so when I do the six-minute networking course, which is sort of my free networking class that's online, I tell people, don't worry about getting something in return. You know, don't even have it in your mind that you're necessarily going to get something in return. So give without the attachment or expectation of getting something in return. Because if you try to do this in a way that is disingenuous, where you're like, okay, I'm going to pretend like I don't need anything, but there's really this sort of hidden agenda, like you're going to launch your book soon or whatever. People can really smell that, especially the people that you're usually trying to get a hold of because they're experienced networkers with a large network or with a large presence. These are the people that can smell this coming a mile away because we've already seen every trick, right? Yeah. <laughs> like we've already dealt with every sort of trickster that's trying to get into our good graces. So the best thing you can do is actually just do this right. And the only way to do that is consistently over time. And so I think people who try and speed up the process are usually the ones that are the most obvious. And and that's, those are the people that I will tell you, you know, we're usually trying to get away from yeah. because it's like that friend that invites you out to lunch. And every time you go out to lunch, they're trying to sell you some sort of multi-level marketing crap. Yeah. And you're like, damn it, you know, and then you get burned a couple of times 
And then it's like, no, no, let's catch up. Let's catch up. And you're like, you're not going to sell me anything. Are you? No, 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 no. And then you show up and then they go, okay, I know I said I wasn't going to sell you anything, but you have to check out prepaid legal or whatever. Right. And then you're just like, okay, I'm never hanging out with you again. And you can really burn a lot of relationships that way. And it happens all the time. Okay. It happens all the time. We see it all the time. Like there's, there's no sort of tricky way to make the process go faster. Yeah. A lot of people really have lost the plot when it comes to relationships. They're really sort of looking at the results and what's in it for them. And those people tend to burn out pretty quick. I mean, I know people that have made plenty of money doing it that have gone to a certain level doing it, but they're some of the most miserable people that I know because they don't actually have any friends, right? They've sort of shortcut life hacked their way into becoming all but incapable of actually being able to have a real relationship, which is sad. But I mean, I, I think it's sort of like you make your bed, you sleep in it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you hope that people learn from it. I certainly have made mistakes where I've learned from it over time. But I think that's really maybe some of the differentiator too, is that if you do make mistakes, you learn from that and readjust moving forward. Absolutely. So I'm going to change gears because I think some of the things that folks may not know about you or, you know, could certainly go on your website and other places to find out is your background is tremendously unique and interesting. So uh, not only are you an amazing podcaster, but you were a Wall Street lawyer. You traveled around the world. You've been through war zones. You've worked in North Korea. You've been kidnapped twice. I've been a mom of four and I've been through stuff in my life, but I can't claim any of that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I also wondered if Wall Street was more rough on you than North Korea. Uh, uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But all that being said, what's one of the things really interesting that I caught on your website was this uh, sentence. He'll tell you the only reason he's still alive and kicking is because of his ability to talk his way into and out of just about any type of situation. I think when I read this, I thought about, you know, from my perspective. So if I was kidnapped... And I was trying to, you know, become free, <laughs> get out, uh, have people release me. Um, that outcome, you know, I'd be willing to do things much differently than I would in my normal day to day life as far as what I'd be willing to say in order to become free because my life is on the line. Mm -hmm. But when you walk into a day to day situation, of course, that's not usually the stakes on the table. Usually the stakes on the table are something in relation to maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's a business opportunity and things like that. Mm -hmm. But I'm wondering, you know, if you're talking yourself out of any type of situation, do you ever find that to be a challenge from just being, you know, Jordan out in the world? Well, I usually don't use any sort of social engineering or what you would call manipulation skills unless I'm in a self-defense scenario, right? So I'm not using the same type of persuasion when I'm trying to negotiate a contract or handle some sort of deal as I would be as if I'm trying to distract someone from, I don't know, beating me up in a basement somewhere, right? You know, like it's a, mm -hmm. if it's a different skill set, yeah. there might be overlap there, but, you know, I'm not really using black hat techniques or technology in business just because you don't need to and it tends to be short game, right? Like if you're lying to get what you want, you can't do business with people long term because they quickly figure out that you're lying to get what you want. However, if I'm being kidnapped by a fake taxi in Mexico, I'm going to lie to get out of that. And I don't care if that person never wants to deal with me again. That's kind of the idea, right? <laughs> so I don't really worry about that because there's not a whole lot of overlap there. But a lot of people do run into problems here because they'll learn a persuasion, influence, manipulation, skill set, whatever you want to call it. And then they're like, I'm going to use this for everything. And that's when you get people who decide that 
they never really need to tell the truth because it's easier to manipulate and lie. And we see that all the time with like these internet marketer type mm. folks and these gurus that you see selling courses and things online. These guys have learned that you can fool some of the people all the time and all the people some of the time. And they just go, great. Well, if we can fool all the people some of the time, let's get money during that uh, time. And then, you know, eventually they burn out and they or they go to prison for tax evasion or whatever it is. But we see these people all the time. And usually we're smart enough to avoid them, but they're, they don't care about that. You know, they're just looking at the people they can con. That's why it's so epidemic right now with the ability for adults to reach essentially kids uh, who are in desperate economic situations online. If you go on YouTube you'll see, and you watch these videos, you'll see ads for somebody that's like, learn my real estate investing techniques. Yeah, It's always crap, but they don't care. They're trying to get the $67 out of you. They'll charge your credit card until you cancel it and then they'll spit you out and get somebody else. That's the whole point of the business. These guys would make a ton of money running a real business, but they don't really necessarily know how to do that. So they're just gonna take the low-hanging fruit. And now with the internet, there's virtually unlimited low-hanging fruit. Yeah, it's so true. And I've noticed a lot of those ads and I've bought into some of those courses before and realized pretty quickly that this is not built for me. It's built for the person who designed it. But I think there's really some interesting things to be said there around uh, maybe some ethical basis around how we market or how we how we build these relationships and really get down to making sure we're doing something that makes us feel good mm -hmm. instead of something that makes us feel I guess, yucky, <laughs> mm -hmm. or maybe you know, that we're doing something that doesn't seem to fall in line with our values. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's easy enough to stray from your values if you don't necessarily know what they are. Yeah. So I think it's important for people to have honest conversa conversations with themselves about what they are willing to do and what they aren't willing to do, because it typically the line creeps, right? A lot of these guys who are scammers, they didn't start off going, I'm going to scam a bunch of people. They started off with maybe some narcissistic tendencies thinking that every time they open their mouth, gold comes out and then they get told by their 18 year old sycophant fan base that they should make a course. And then they make a course and they find that they can spend a few thousand dollars on advertising and make a few thousand dollars back. And then they, you know, and even if they're breaking even, they've got all these people sort of kissing their butt and they go, huh, I like this. And they pump money into it and they build their little fan fanboy army these aren't people that started off thinking I'm gonna scam people, but now they think, well, you know, all look at all these yes men around me that are telling me how great I am, cool. This must be the truth, and all the people that say I'm scamming them and charging their credit card without knowledge and all this, well, they're just haters, you know? And so they construct this narrative around themselves that what they're doing is fine, and eventually you get to the ends justify the means, where they go, yeah, we're not gonna let you cancel because you should be doing this material. And if we take money from you and you don't use it, well, that's on you. And yeah, we're going to make it hard, but that's for your own good. I mean, you know, the, there's sort of no limit to how much people can lie to themselves, especially when they're flying around in a private jet doing it. <laughs> they're not really in a hurry to stop that. And that's why you see some of these gurus, uh, especially these online guys at the top of the game, they're involved in all kinds of stuff. You know, it's it's rarely are they just involved in a real estate a real estate scam. That same person is a Scientologist, right? And and then also the other person owns a magazine that the magazine is designed to fluff their ego, and they also charge other people to be in it, right? It's just it's sort of a narcissist playground for a lot of these guys, and it, it looks a lot like the authoritarian rulers that we see around the world, only on a small scale, and. Honestly, I think it, it would be comical if it weren't so predatory and dangerous, but most of us don't have to worry about this because we have values that we, even if we can't articulate, 
we sort of know are there. I think that a lot of people on the far end of this spectrum, they don't really have values that they can articulate because they're not self-aware enough to do that. So staying self-aware and building values and figuring out what you want, that is hugely, hugely important. I mean, for me, one of the things that I do is I count time. People always say like, time is money. And what they mean is hurry up, I want more money, right? But I, I was thinking about this recently with a couple of friends of mine who sold their businesses. And I said, you know, it's funny because now time is money, but you don't really need money. And one of my friends who's just really, really a smart guy, he said, yeah, let's look at it backwards. And he said, all right, you know, we might not be billionaires, but we're retired more or less, or we're doing something we love doing, even if it's work, but it's not like a job job. You know, we're not clocking in and out. And we're, let's say, 40. Okay, so a billion seconds, I think it's like 31 years. So if you think, all right, I'm gonna live and be productive and happy and healthy till at least 81, hopefully further because of technology, you know, hopefully we'll be coherent and healthy and happy until our 90s or later at, at this point in history, we're billionaires when it comes to how much time we have. And that's pretty cool. I mean, look, having a billion seconds left is not the same as having a billion dollars in many ways, but the example that he gave was how many of us would trade with Warren Buffett and take all of his money, but you have to become 90 years old tomorrow. I don't know that many people that would take that. Yeah, I, I love that analogy because it's important for us to think about, you know, the the investment of our time and, and how valuable it is because we don't know how much time we have left, of course. But I love the way they brought that up. Similar thing I talk about is our energy bank account. So how much energy do we have to spend? We only have so much. Hmm. Where do you spend that energy? And, you know, how do you spend on something valuable versus something that might not be worth your time. I know I've wasted some of my energy on things like binging on Netflix. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's probably better ways I could have spent that time or energy. Mm -hmm. But yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. Before I wrap up here, a lot of times I talk to my guests about what they're optimistic about for the future. So I'd be interested to know what is Jordan optimistic about for the future? Look, I think people are becoming more and more aware that the systems that are around us dictate our lives. And I don't just mean like politicians and capitalism. I mean, that I do mean that in, in some respects. But I also mean people have a lot more control and agency than they maybe think they do. And, and right now, it's the opposite. People are thinking the opposite. We're thinking like, oh, it's impossible to get ahead. The system is rigged. This and that and, you know, are, are against us. We actually have more opportunity than we ever have had despite the fact that we've made some pretty bad choices uh, in terms of who and what are in power in the last few decades, in the United States especially, we have it much better off than the rest of the world. We still do. There's still time to sort of turn things around. I'm not necessarily hopeful that we will be able to maintain our lifestyle the way it is, but I also think that that's probably a good thing. I mean, it is time for people to start thinking a little bit more about what's good for their children and what's good for the planet as opposed to how they're going to get their next meal or get theirs. And we see this when we see in social media and the internet, these sort of excesses of the elite in our country. It's not a good look, right? Fewer people admire those that have everything and are wasteful, right? And, and now we're starting to see that because we can see just how unequal things are, that maybe it actually is unfair. It's hard for us to bury our heads in the sand or harder for us to bury our heads in the sand. So I'm optimistic that the younger generation, I'm talking like Gen Z, might actually have the political will to do something about it. I think for me at age 40, you know, it's not something that's necessarily gonna happen in time for us to live differently. But I think people who are 20 right now have a really good shot at turning around what our generation has done. And I think 
my generation, so like the bottom of Gen X or millennials, it's the first generation that's not living as well as their parents. And I think Gen Z can turn that around. It's not looking great for them right now with the pandemic and all of them not being able to get jobs and living at home. But I think that might even be what they need to go like, hey, this is not working out. And they have time to turn things around, right? They've got a whole couple of decades before they're in my shoes in terms of age. And that may slash should be enough time for them to say, this system doesn't work, we need to we need to reform this. Instead of just sort of listening to us old farts and how we know better while we're ruining the planet and the environment and their social security system and you know not reinvesting in their education. There are enough smart, hardworking people in Gen Z that I think they're gonna, I'm hopeful that they will wake up. And I, I know from the Jordan Harbinger show, the people that are in Gen Z that are in my inbox, they're extremely intelligent, they're extremely driven, motivated. You know, they're not really just sort of keeping their head down and trying to get their career going. They're really thinking about global issues much more than I was at age 20 and certainly much more than my parents were at age 20 and 30. So that's what I'm optimistic about. Yeah, absolutely. I think the younger generation is definitely something to look forward to. I've got four up and coming Gen Zers in my own household. So <laughs> I have a lot of hope for them. But I also think that folks like in older generations, like I'm a Gen Xer myself, uh, we need to also make sure we're getting involved in helping the future generations. So shouldn't, we shouldn't wait for them to come clean up our mess if there's things that we can also do uh, in our own space and our own energy and our own time as well. Mm -hmm. So there's a call to action for the listeners to do something today to help Gen Z be successful when they come up, which is now, <laughs> which mm -hmm. is now. So, hey, Jordan, this has been an amazing conversation. Thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Networking is often touted as a key to career advancement, the ticket to success in business, or a way to get ahead. But as we noted in this conversation, if we view networking as a means to an end, we likely won't be better off. In fact, it might leave us a bit more lonely because we haven't been successful at the most important thing, building authentic human connection. Think about your own relationships for a moment, the ones you value the most. What you get out of a strong relationship is worth more than can be articulated in terms of advancement or money. In fact, strong relationships allow us to do those things that help us shape a better future, like sharing ideas, collaborating, and supporting one another. So take the time today to reach out to those in your network, those people you value but maybe haven't connected with in a while. Share a moment of gratitude, pay them a compliment, or just let them know you're thinking of them. Rethink any transactional relationships and consider how to better connect. If you're not sure how to do this, check out Jordan's free six-minute networking course that you can find on jordanharbinger.com. Otherwise, just take action. And while you're at it, go on. Go help shape the future. To learn more about Jordan Harbinger and his amazing work, check out The Jordan Harbinger Show wherever you find your podcasts. You can also visit his website to enroll in his free six-minute networking course. If you're looking to strengthen your network, I can say that it's well worth your valuable time. I'm Rebecca Scott, and this is Humans Now and Then, hosted and produced by Rebecca Scott. Episode notes can be found at humansnowandthen.com. Thank you for listening.